Now I'd like to begin my presentation, Life is a Daring Adventure, or it is nothing. Um, I'd like the picture of this little person has his cap on backwards and he's running off to something exciting and he has no idea that he's going right off a cliff. I think to me that in a picture that tells you how kids tend to be. My name is Holly Sauls. I don't know if any of you know me, but um, I teach, actually I'll be your teacher's theology, no, I'll be your, your girl's theology teacher this year in sacred scripture. So, um, but that's not why I'm up here. The reason I'm up here is because I have a master's in uh, philosophy of education from the University of Navarre in Spain. And uh, with a focus on character education, this is, this is my passion, I would say, is helping the girls learn how to become the kind of person that deep down they would like to be so that they can be happy with themselves and contribute a lot to the world. And uh, which is why I work at Oakcrest, because this is, this is one of the big things about Oakcrest is we, we um, through the environment of the school, we try to create an environment in which the girls are going to see role models that are going to exemplify what they could be like as adults. You know, they don't have to be just like their teachers, but um, these are women who themselves understand the importance of um, like putting your best foot forward, thinking of other people, uh, that kind of thing. So I wrote a book called Character Education, Ch Changing, um, Transforming, sorry, Transforming Values into Virtue. Of course, it's out of print. It was not a bestseller, I just have to say that. <laughs> But it was my attempt to give something to the world of, of um, education. It's designed for graduate students in education, and it's designed for schools that are looking to create a, an ethos in their school uh, that will help their students to want to be good people. Um, so, we're going to start now. This is a chart that I got from a book called Raising Good Children by Thomas Lycona. Now, in, in he, when character education was the, the topic, that, uh, the hot topic of education, he was the guru in this country. He's written many, many books. The book that, I'm, that I used to, for this talk is called Raising Good Children. And um, this, is, this is right at the beginning of the book, and it shows you how kids grow in their moral reasoning. They don't change their morals. It's not a matter of changing your morals. It's a matter of understanding your relationship to yourself and to the world, and it expands as they get older. And they go through stages, which I think you will recognize, especially zero, one, and two. Um, I, uh, so. Uh, stage zero, every, every stage has its idea of what's right and the reason that I want to be good. So up until four years old, what's right is that I get my own way. That's what's right. And why do I want to be good? Because I want to get the rewards and I want to avoid punishments. Now this, this kind of thinking unfortunately plagues us our whole life. Um, stage one, around kindergarten, 
I should do what I'm told. That's kind of nice. And I want to stay out of trouble. That's why I'm good. Now, stage two is probably more close to your hearts right now. Begins sometime in elementary school, and it can last um, all the way through about 10th grade. Doesn't have to. I know that I, I know some of your daughters, and they're beyond this. But this this can happen. What's right is I should look out for myself, but be fair to those people who are fair to me. And why do I want to be good? Because there's something in it for me. I'm going to get something out of it if I'm good. Um, middle schoolers tend to hang out in stage two for a couple of years. And incoming ninth graders are, I always like to think of them as eighth graders, you know, newly minted eighth graders who are edging their way towards being um, a little more mature, which happens probably at the end of first semester. So from, for the whole first semester, I am dealing with eighth graders who think that they're ninth graders. Um, and um, they have a tit-for-tat understanding of what fairness is. Uh, here, I'll show you this. Justice, fairness, that is the most important thing for them. And fairness, a lot of times, is people being fair with me. So if, you know, this is when they get very hurt if someone doesn't talk to them in the hallway, or she doesn't talk to her while she's at her locker, or she doesn't sit with her like she's always been sitting with her. Those kinds of things for a stage two person, that's not fair because she's not, she is not doing for me what I'm expecting her to do for me. So what's the reaction of a stage two girl? Well, I have to get revenge. I have to do to her what she did to me. That's fair. So, you know, friendships tend to crumble in stage two, as you can understand why. As a matter of fact, um, Aristotle said, he uses the word love, but I think you could use the word friendships. He said that young people fall in and out of love several times a day. And I think if you've had a daughter in middle school, this may have, this, you may have experienced that. So if your daughter is like what I'm just describing, my advice to you is don't panic. Um, it comes with the territory. In, with, when, if you have a daughter who's, who's still in stage two, I always tell parents, I think that if you, if you look at your daughter and say to yourselves, stage two has taken over my daughter. In sixth grade, she was adorable. Where is she in there? If you think of it as the stage taking over your daughter, then you will be able to let things roll off your back. They tend to talk back sometimes. I mean, if, if your daughter talks back to you, don't be surprised. It comes with the territory. It doesn't mean you have to just say, oh, well, it comes with the territory. Okay, I'll just let it go. No, but uh, um, for your own um, self-preservation, don't be horrified at all of the negative things that you see in your daughter because it's part of growing up. Um, and what the, the challenge to parenting is to see it to recognize that this is, um, there's nothing wrong, more, there's nothing wrong with your daughter, um, but you've got, to con you've got to contain it and then pull her out of that. So um, after the profile of stage two, the next slide is going to be about how do you parent and 
how do you pull them out of stage two to go into stage three, which, which, which is much nicer. Um, they have a, a new capacity for, for being mean, as I put up there. They can have more fights. Um, you know, it's just, it's not a pretty scene. And um, no matter where you go to school, I mean, at least here, we try really quite strenuously to grab the stage two by, by the horns and to pull the girls out of it. But that doesn't mean that some of the stage two behaviors can be eliminated because um, growing up takes a long time. Um, the other interesting thing is the last point here. If they don't see harmful results of actions or speech, they may not think it's wrong. Okay, so I go home, I'm on stage tour, and I'm, a, I'm having dinner, and then I, I tell you all the, the terrible things about Julie that happened in school today. She knows you're not gonna go talking about what happened to Julie, so who cares, right? Um, or if she gets away with cheating on a test and doesn't have any consequence for that, what's wrong with getting a good grade? So, um, the, these are the kinds of, of things that you as parents and we as teachers um, notice and you talk about that. For example, I, I know an, um, a family friend of mine, well, the family is a friend of mine, when they have dinner together, each person has to go around and say, all the kids, something that happened to them during the day. But the parameters are you cannot gossip, you can't say anything bad about anybody or anything, which puts kind of a, it's, it's kind of constraining for a stage two girl. <laughs> but, um, the dad is very strict about that, and it works. I mean, you can pass if, if you really can't think of anything. Um, and then he also brings, he, he gets something on his email with, you know, inspirational quotes for the day. And he picks one, he brings it to the dinner table at night, and when all else fails, he brings it up, and then each person has to make a commentary on, on his quotation. I thought that was a wonderful way to contain the dinner table conversation so that it goes in a positive direction and doesn't, um, and doesn't allow for some of these stage two um, behaviors. I don't know if it, I don't know, I doubt that this is news to you, but they probably will accuse you of being very unfair. Don't believe it, okay? Um, if you let the girls hurt your feelings, you can't parent them because you, because hurt, with hurt feelings, all you do is gut react. And um, that's why I'm saying you've got you've to see it as a stage and somehow build up some kind of a crust. I have had to do that. I mean, when I was younger as a teacher, I, had, I, I figured out I, I need to be able to <laughs> not believe everything they tell me and not to take it personally. Um, and it has helped, let me tell you, it has helped a lot because I can just listen to them and say, All right, have you finished yet? And, and then say, okay, that's enough, we're gonna keep moving here. And minimize the importance of, of some of the things that go on. Now, when you see that the girls are starting to pay more attention to what other people think and feel, you, you, 
your stage two is melting down and stage three is emerging, um, which is great. Oh, by the way, in stage two, most things are negotiation. So I'll be nice to you if you be nice to me, tit for tat. So, um, you know, you, you say to your daughter, um, Leslie, I'll do the dishes, you bring the dishes over so I can put them in the dishwasher. So she sees you're not at, by, instead of asking you to, you to, and at, instead of asking her to do the whole thing, you're divvying up the work. That is fair. Um, they're going to see themselves, they, they unfortunately have this miscon misconception that they might be equals with you, <laughs> which is why they think they can negotiate. Um, another friend of mine had a son who kept talking back to his mother. Well, the father sat the, the kid down and he said to him, your mother is my wife and no one talks to my wife that way. And it got, he finally got to the kid and he stopped talking back to his mom. Um, so I'm throwing these things out in case they're helpful tactics. Um, yeah, they can taunt other people, they pick on them, they can be too sensitive. Um, they think that they should pay back those who are not fair to them. They expect absolutely equal treatment. So if the older kid gets to stay up until 10, oh, I should too. We're both your children. They, they, saying, well, you're younger, honey, blah, 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 nothing. This is why if you're going to have privileges in your family, which, you know, you should have like a ascending thing of privileges that you get, that you attain at, when you get to certain stages, um, make, make very clear that you can only stay up until 10 o'clock when you're a sophomore in high school. How old are you? I'm in seventh grade. Okay, are you a sophomore? No. Okay, you're going to bed then. So that they really, and you can, you can stay up when you're in 10th grade. So they sort of have some hope. <laughs> um, they need to feel like they listen, that you listen to them. So in some instances when they're, when they're not quite so irrational, let them say what they think. Why? because you need to understand why they're thinking the way they're thinking so that you can begin the process, and this continues as they get older, of helping them to see the flaws in their logic. The, the way that we, anybody learns how to improve the way they think is for them to realize that there might be flaws in their logic. And, um, you're also teaching them how to think through their own logic. Okay, challenging, try to nurture a loving relationship with your daughter. Sometimes with kids in stage two, you might wish that they were somebody else's child. <laughs> or maybe if you, you could send them away for three years and then get them back. Um, you know, sometimes you don't like your stage two child, but that's, a, that's fine. I mean, it comes with the territory, you still love her. Um, but, so I say try to nurture a, a loving relationship. 
they do like personal attention, okay? Um, this same dad that talked to his son about his wife also made time to take his daughters out on Saturday mornings for breakfast, just one-on-one. -on -one. And then he would talk to them and listen to them and talk to them about what they wanted, and that was the beginning of a very important bond between the daughter and the son. That same dad, when the, when the kids got older and the girls went shopping for themselves to buy their clothes, he designated himself as the determiner of whether or not she would look good in those clothes. And they would go out and buy their clothes, and they'd bring them home, and of course the girl that I had as a mentee was the one who was the biggest problem. And she would bring home these clothes, and he would say, I don't want any boy to see you in that skirt. Out! You know, or that top is way, it's much too tight, you can't wear it, take it back. And because he had started when they were down in this stage two, and kind of unlikable, they trusted him, and they realized that he was looking out for their good. Um, I throw that out to any dads who are looking for a way to kind of inch your way into the heart of your daughter who's in a stage two. One word about sleepovers, please do not, and I recommend this even if the kids are in stage three, please don't have sleepovers. Don't let your kids go to sleepovers, don't have them. Sleepovers, they gossip, um, they watch things that I can guarantee you they'll be watching things that you don't want them to watch. Um, either on television or on their cell phone or somewhere else, on the computer. They, you know, they, they put things online about other kids that, that they get back to school and they've ruined another child. I mean, we all know about that kind of thing. It doesn't have to be quite so dramatic as we read about online, but um, they, don't have the, they don't have the maturity or the self-control to understand that, that how hurtful their behaviors can be. And you don't want them to come back to school and have this little sleepover click. That's the last thing you want in your, in your ninth grade is, is little clicks because only some of the girls were invited to a sleepover because your house can't hold everybody. You have a very large class. Um, hurt feelings, clicks, anyway. Sleeper, sleepovers just are not very formative in the, in the virtue of charity and justice. So I throw that out. Okay, so um, which virtue do you need the most patience? You gotta be patient. Um, you have to go with the flow a little bit, deal with the stage, don't take things personally, be willing to negotiate, um, appeal to her cooperation and love rather than fairness. This is pulling her out of this stage. Not everything is fair. Older kids do more stuff. She has to help out with the, if you have more than one child, she has to help out in the care of the younger children probably. That's the way it is. Um, this is the stage two. I'm sure you have been emphasizing religious values forever. Um, but talk to her a lot about um, Jesus Christ and how much he loved people and um, that kind of thing. Because this is helping her to become more sensitive to the feelings of others. Let's see. 
you know, when, you're, when she doesn't do what she's supposed to do, your first reaction can be anger. Don't, don't, don't go there. It's much more effective to be disappointed because you know that she can do better or she can be a better person. When you get angry, you both just sort of, you know, firm and get stuck in your positions. But if you can show her that, um, that you're really disappointed, then she is going to start to feel guilty. Yay! That's good for stage two. Um, okay. The other thing at the bottom here, try to model the kind of person that is kind and caring rather than controlling. That, this is a big challenge for parents. When I talk about the development of children, I have to say always, the screws are on us rather than on the kids. <laughs> you know, where is the screw where is the screw tightening? It's on us. We're the ones that are here. They're the ones that are trying to get up. They don't really understand what they're going through. We're looking at them and thinking, oh, brother, stage two. I know what that's like. I, I'm forewarned here. And um, so it's up to me to be loving when I don't feel like it. It's up to me to be patient when I would rather clunk her on the head or send her to her room. Um, but if you can get yourself to do the right thing as a parent, um, you're going to be very effective in dealing with stage two and, um, and then stage three. And then four and five are just great. Um, two and three are a little more challenging. And okay. Now. Now here's stage three. Stage three, they're not quite so centered only on themselves and what they can get out of it. They're, they're, there's in, inner focus, but also outer focused. They, they begin to be very concerned about what other people think of them. Now this can be a good point, right? Because it can be a way, if I have a friend who's really a good girl, and I want my friend to think well of me, and she doesn't gossip, maybe I won't gossip you know, or I'll, somehow I'll, I'll realize that the reason I like her is because, because she doesn't talk about other people and I can trust her not to talk about me to other people. So maybe I'll be like that. Um, the only problem with this, of course, there's always a problem, is that they can confuse doing what is right with doing what other people want them to do. And they will, if they have, if they have a friend or two or three or four, because you can have friendship groups that are not cliques, that's very possible, um, and they're all doing something, let's say, uh, let's just, I don't know, what? They all want to go to the shopping mall, and you don't like your daughter to go to the shopping mall. She, she's going to think that it must be okay to go to the shopping mall because all of the girls that she likes are going there or the popular girls are going there or whatever. Um, and so she's going to think that's right. And it, at this stage, it's really important to, this is when it comes, it becomes even more important to talk things through with them. You need to know why you have limitations. What's the rationale behind it? It's not because I said so. Bottom line, it's got to be deeper than that, which I'm sure you all realize and do. Mm. Their emotions can take over. 
They think with their emotions probably maybe until they're 45, I'm not sure. But um, definitely in ninth grade, girls can think with their emotions and rather than with their reason. And so me as a, as a ninth grade theology teacher, I keep trying to pull their reasoning up, you know, and I, I actually, I try to treat them as adults. Um, I don't, generally speaking, give out detentions because I want to treat them as adults. I let them pick where they're going to sit, and then I hold them responsible for their chatter. It's an, it, I have to say, it's not a very efficient way to go about it because there's a lot of chattering in the room until they realize that I'm not the one that's supposed to keep them from talking. It's them that keeps themselves from talking. So I have, every once in a while, I have a heart to heart with them. And I say, girls, it's time for a heart to heart conversation here. Um, why do you think that I don't change your seats even though I know that you're talking with your friend? And they, don't know what to say because I don't want to say the wrong thing. So then I answer the question for them. And I ask them frequently, how many of you think it's the role of the teacher to keep you quiet? Most of them raise their hands, except for me. And I explain to them, girls, you are responsible for the kind of person that you're becoming. If you want to be rude to me, you're going to become a rude person but it's up to you, you make that decision. This is the way to talk to a stage three girl, you're kind of introducing new ideas to them. Now they take a while to sink in. They're only in ninth grade, so it's, it sinks in more close to 11th grade, but at least they've had some experience with it um, when they're younger. Okay. They can be more cooperative, they can, they're more empathetic. We have a, we're going to be having a series of um, 12 service projects this year that are going to be managed by older students. And they're running the entire year. Each service project will do one activity a, a month, which is focused outside of Oakcrest. So for example, one of, the, one of them is called Kids Serving Kids. And this is run by one of the rising seniors. So she's a senior. And they're going to have a, be having bake sales to raise money to adopt two or three children from one of those, the Christian Science, I mean, Christian Children's Fund. And then they're going to write letters to them and send them little things. And uh, this, this is the kind of thing that ninth grade girls are very attracted to, or, or hopefully we want them to be attracted to things like that. So um, keep your ears and your eyes open for the service initiatives program and encourage your daughter to get involved in it because this is the beginning of the time when they can, they can this is something they can sink their, their teeth into and it's a way for them to be able to, to put into action the empathy that they feel for, the, for somebody who's, who needs help. Also, I would highly encourage you in the summer times, this is a time when you, they need to start separating from you a little bit and getting a little in, bit more independent. Um, so they've done summer camps, okay. Now that they're getting older and they're getting into situations that are not quite so controlled, and you want to give them a little more independence, be sure to check out where you want to send the girls. 
If the summer program has housing in college dorms, please mm, make sure that you understand exactly the environment that your daughter might be getting into. Because many of those summer programs, um, sort they, they don't really observe too minutely what's going on in the dorms. This is why we, this is why we, one of the reasons we partner with Yuma Center in DC. And uh, Yuma Center sponsors, well, they sponsored this past summer a program for rising ninth graders called uh, Yuma Serves DC. And it was a series of service projects for one week for rising ninth graders. Now, going into 10th grade, there is a, a project in Boston next summer called um, Service in the City. And it's run by another Opus Dei Center. The girls live in the Opus Dei College dorm. That's Bay Ridge Residence, which is very, very chaperoned. They have mass every day. I mean, it's a great environment, but it is somewhere where you could send your daughter away from you, but you can be guaranteed that the environment that she's going to be in is going to be a place that you can trust in all the angles. You know what I mean? Um, so these are the kinds of things that I would um, encourage you to look into as ways of helping her to gain a little bit of independence, but at the same time in an environment that you can be sure is going to be the kind of environment that you want. In another school I worked at, there, there, was, um, there were two sisters who got involved in a program called, I think it was American Ambassadors, Young American Ambassadors, where they went to Europe. And, um, and their mother wanted them to go to Mass on Sundays. So she's, I encouraged her to speak with the people in the program, which she did, and they said, absolutely no problem, we'll have her going to Mass on Sundays. So they went. Well, they, they never went to Mass. And there was a lot of drinking. So it's like, oh, shoot, you know? So just be careful. Okay. Um, the nice thing about stage three girls is they can have mercy on other people. Um, they can take the viewpoint of the group. They can, now they can start to see things from somebody else's point of view. Mm. The other nice thing is they are able to see that helping without an immediate reward is good. So this is, now it's okay to do things like not give them rewards, monetary rewards for good grades. No money for grades, okay? Because you're, you're doing the opposite of what you think. You're teaching them to go after the money instead of the learning. So um, you can take them out for dinner to, to, to show how proud you are of them. But I, I wouldn't give them specific, you know, like you'll get a car if you get straight A's until you're 16, something like that. Um, okay. Treat her with re now here now here you're treating her more as a little little individual right you treat her with respect you don't um, it's try not to compare her with her other siblings um, teach her moral values that offer an attractive image of a good person 
you're offering her your, the example of your own lives, whether you know it or not. <laughs> um, this, is, this is why when they're looking at what it means to be good, they're looking at their parents first. They're not looking at their teachers first. Their teacher might be young and cool and, you know, but, but when push comes to shove, it's their parents that they look at. And I know this because they tell me this. They appreciate everything you do for them. I was talking to, last year I had seniors, um, and we were talking about um, gratitude. And I said, okay, well, what, do you, what, do you, what are you grateful for? First thing that came up was, my mom spends hours in the car driving me all over the place. My parents sent me to Oakcrest. My parents sunk, have sunk a lot of money into my education, and I know it was a sacrifice. You know, um, so I was, I was so edified. I didn't start to cry, but I was like, oh my gosh, it's getting through to them. Their parents in our school are doing what they're, they've gotten it. Um, okay. Give your daughter a chance to talk things over, to voice her opinions when you can. Um, she may have some opinions that you don't agree with. You can't say to her, you can't have that opinion. This is a time when you click into, explain to me why you think like that. What's, what are you thinking when you say that? And then she says something kind of stupid, and um, you say, hmm, I, would you mind if I thought about that so I could talk to you a little bit about it later so I can understand better how you think? As an example, one time I, in my um, philosophy class, I brought a quotation from Benedict XVI in which he said, modern man seems to think that there has to be moral evil in the world for life to be interesting. So it's like, what do you think about that? I thought it was a no-brainer myself, but they said, that's absolutely true. There has to be moral evil in the world. I said, really, why is that? Well, so people know what's, what not to do. How else are you going to learn what not to do if you don't see people making mistakes? And of course, I'm thinking, what happened to all those years of religion and the Ten Commandments and God? I didn't say anything. And they said, oh, well, they, they got a little more worked up about their opinion, and, and everybody agreed that absolutely yes. And I said, I didn't say anything. We went to Mass. I was desperate to figure out, what can I say to these kids, you know? So we had a class before Mass and a class after Mass. So God inspired me because after Mass, and this is what you should do, you repeat back to them what they said to you so that they understand that you understand them. So I said, I understand what you're saying. What you're saying is the way that we learn what's right and wrong is by watching other people make mistakes. And they're like, yeah, Masaz, you get it. I said, right, so I understand now why there has to be murder. Who's going to know that you're not supposed to murder unless you see somebody murdered? Oh, yeah, and, and what about abuse? God, there's got to be a lot of abuse, not just here, but it has to be all... If they don't see abuse in India, how are they going to know that abuse is wrong? And I went through every horrible thing I could think of, and I said, what you're saying is that this stuff has to exist if this is because it's the only way to know what's right and wrong. So he just sat there staring at me. I said, girls, fight back. Come on, push back. 
if you don't agree with me, push back. And of course they didn't. And I, so total quiet in the classroom. And I said, girls, this is going to happen to you in college unless you think through things that you say. You have to think through things that you say before you blurt them out as if they were absolute fact. Because what you said didn't really make any sense. Now, end of class, and they kind of stormed off. But they talked about that for a long time, and, and I still remember it myself, even. But this is why you have to let them kind of talk out in private what it is that they think. And um, I doubt that in ninth grade it's going to get to that, that deep. But you know, for, for them, whatever they say is deep. And it's very important. No matter what they say is very important. And you have to pretend like it's really important. Um, OK. Oops. Here we go. Promoting horizontal and vertical growth. So you want to um, promote vertical growth, which is challenging your daughter to think and behave in ways that will promote higher level reasoning. I'm highly recommending this book, Raising Good Children. It gives you many, many practical hints on how to challenge your daughter at every stage, which I didn't want to bring up. It would take us all day. Stage mix. You're going to find your daughter going back and forth in, all the, in several different stages as they grow up. I mean, this continues as long as we're alive. And I use myself as an example in regard to traffic laws. There's a street in, in DC called MacArthur Boulevard. And it's 25 miles an hour. That's the speed limit. To me, it's unreasonably low. So when I first got to DC, I, was, I, I thought, I don't know why these people are driving so slowly. So I started to go more, uh, what I thought it was a reasonable speed. And I kept getting these speeding tickets because it was photo enforced. And I thought, okay, I am going to follow the law here. Why? Because stage zero reasoning, I do not want to get in trouble. And I think, <laughs> Um, another thing that happened to me maybe three or four years ago was all of a sudden a stop sign showed up in the middle of my neighborhood. And I, was, I, th I thought, there is no reason for us to stop here. You don't need to stop at this corner. So I didn't, on the principle. And I, was, I happily just drove through it all the time. And then one day I drove through it and there was a policeman there. And he stopped me and he said, you went through that stop sign as if it didn't exist. I said, yeah, I know, it, it was on principle. So he looked at me like I had three heads and gave me a ticket. So guess what? I stop now every single time at that stop sign because I don't want to get another ticket. So stage mix happens to all of us. I'm sure you don't have any stories like that. Um, now. What I wanted to show here, this, um, I gave a test to the seniors several years ago in philosophy, and I asked them what two or three ideas had been most significant and most 
impacted them in the course. And so I wanted to show you um, the vertical reflections there. Here. She's, she saw stage three behavior in herself and realized that she had to overcome it. One important concept I learned was that emotions can but should not overtake your reason. I personally was surprised that she only discovered that when she was in 12th grade. But um, I did not realize that the, they could actually overpower it. Peer pressure. I often do in life what I feel like doing, and learning to control that is something I need to do. Peer pressure is difficult to reject, and my personality doesn't help. But knowing that objective morality is possible to follow because people like Socrates have proven it makes it easier to understand that there is a legitimate reason to reject pressure, other than knowing that it is just wrong to live subjectively. So you can see she's recognizing um, moral reasoning in herself that, that isn't helpful. And then this last thing, Learning during the Apology, which is a, um, a dialogue written by Plato, how Socrates was the wisest man because he recognized his ignorance, helped me to realize that I have limitations in many areas and probably always will. I thought that was the most astute thing she could have ever said. So as you can see, your daughters are going to grow up and they're going to be able to look at themselves and evaluate their own reasoning um, better and better and better as they, as they get older. Going into, they're, they're coming into ninth grade. Many of them are going to be new. It's, it's going to be a little rocky. I'll just tell you right now. It's going to be a little rocky at the beginning because if you're new here, she doesn't know where she fits into the pecking order. Right? She doesn't have any friends maybe. Um, so just be ready to, for a little bit of turmoil at the beginning. And I guarantee you, if you hang in there, and you show her that you're sure it's all gonna work out, it's gonna work out, no matter what she says at home. You don't know how often it is that kids are perfectly happy here at school and running around with smiles on their faces, but they don't want the, their parents to have the satisfaction of knowing that. And so, <laughs> and so they go home and they, you would think that the world is crashing to an end when actually they're having a lot of fun at school. So that's, as I say, take things with a grain of salt. It's most helpful to your own survival and your own peace of mind and is most helpful to the girls. So thank you for coming.